what, what other people thought of me never really bothered me because I, I knew these decisions I make and the stuff that I do does not conflict with my morals or my values. So I'm good. So this podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past and present. I recognise and respect their cultural heritage, beliefs and relationship with the land, which continue to be important to the Kulin Nation people living today. Okay, so... That was easy. That was easy. It's not hard, is it, to just acknowledge... (laughs) No, I've I've always had a funny relationship with with welcomes... Yeah. Welcome to countries. I don't know. I just don't believe in them. It's a weird thing. I was like, and it was like something I just developed over my adolescence, you know, my adult years of like, why are we welcoming them? <laughs> we shouldn't be welcoming them? Or the oppressor. You mm. know what I mean? Like, Why are we like, opening up our... Yeah. The, it's like, yeah, come take what you want. Again. The, the, yeah. They're already here. <laughs> They set up shop. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I've always had a, a funny relationship with it. Not to say that it's wrong or, you know, that's just just my take on it. I've always been like, oh, okay. It, it, it always felt a bit odd that we would welcome, in quotations, the oppressor. Um, I've seen some great acknowledgements, though. My, my sister actually does a fantastic one. But it's, um, yeah, it's just a weird, it's just an odd thing. Would you say it's because we're not at a point yet where even Indigenous and Torres Strait Islanders feel welcome? Well, there's no equity. Mm. So it doesn't feel genuine. Mm. You know what I mean? Acknowledgement is a different thing, I think. Acknowledgement of of country and, and elders in the room is a bit different from a welcome which, you know, is a traditional thing to, you know, welcome other tribes and, and other clans to, to walk through your boundaries, not to stay. You welcome them, they stay. <laughs> it's different. It's, very I, it's different. just like, I, you know, I think a lot of people, it's protocol for a lot of people mm. and they do these things, but they don't really think about what it actually means. And, you know, everyone's trying to tick the box. And I think it's more important to get you know, the box correct. <laughs> There's an education yeah. responsibility. For me personally, because I was saying before that I'm from New Zealand, mm. it's so different over there. It is a lot better yeah. than here. That was yeah. one of the biggest things I noticed when I moved here was the, I was shocked by the racism, to be yeah. honest. Well, it's, it's a, there's a difference in, in politics. There's a difference in history. There's a, you know, there's many more language groups and clans and tribes here than you know New Zealand as well so there's a yeah. there's a lot more people to um, to uh, negotiate with <laughs> so true I will ask you a bit about that a little bit later if you don't mind but I do want to start with the reason that why we are here yeah so it's almost a year to the day that you and trials won the Epera songwriter of the year award with yeah. AB original. Mm-hmm. To me, it's such a beast move because I don't envision, I don't see you as the typical songwriter, the the person who works behind closed doors in writer rooms and then writes top 40 commercial pop hits that top the Billboard chart. And 
it's it's fascinating to me. I think it's it's amazing. Yeah, well, we don't. That's not what we do. Like our our songwriting, the method hasn't really changed. The execution has changed, but the method has remained pretty steady. Where it's just me and T in a room with a beat and a beanbag, and he might have a sixer, and I'll have a kombucha. <laughs> Does <laughs> it have to be a beanbag? Is that yeah, that's just the, the room that's on the rider for point. the writing room? <laughs> oh, there's a lot of things on the rider. But yeah, and then we just like he'll bring in beats, and then I'll start, you know, knocking out, you know quotables and that's how it really begins like he brings in a great like sound bed for us to work with and you know he's really good at that stuff T is the real foundation of of the song for sure and then like to explain the kind of relationship it's like he's the producer and the mad scientist in the lab and I'm the director you know what I mean I kind of shape the vision and answer the the questions at the front. <laughs> but what about when it's just you, when it's just Briggs songwriting? What's that process like? Just me in my car, usually, yeah. or I go for a walk. I need to be active to get good ideas. Mm. Um, and, like, my phone is just littered with... Like, it used to be a notepad. Now it's my phone is just littered with weird things and ideas and questions and, and stuff like that. So, like, to write... To write a song, you know, again, I get beats from Trials, I get beats from JT, you know, because they're my go-to guys. They're always my... They know what I like. They know what I sound good on. And we've got a good, you know, working relationship. So I don't really change that. It's like, even if everything switched and I was a pop star, I'd still have joints from them. (laughs) That was what I was going to ask you. Would you ever write a commercial top 40 pop hit, like a proper poppers, bubblegum poppers it can come. I don't know. I I don't know if it's in if it's in me to do it. Like I think I'm too you know even with my new track, Life is Incredible, you know, it's pretty bubblegum it's pretty pop but that's the idea it's this subversive kind of scathing you know, it's not until like verse three, four, yeah, you're like, the, hold on, on a minute. On the way out, it's like, it's the plot twist. You know, it's, the, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's not in me to make that stuff. Like, I don't really do things that I don't want to do. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the easiest way to get me to quit is if I'm doing something I don't really want to do, I stop. So when you think of yourself, Briggs the Artist, do you see yourself as a songwriter? Do you see yourself as a producer, MC? Do you, what's your go-to label when you're thinking know. of you as an artist? I'm, I'm more of an executive producer when it comes to producing. Like, I, I don't like to press the buttons and I just go like, yeah, it should sound like this, <laughs> you know? Mm. You know, it should do this. It should go here. This is the way it should be. You know, we should build it like this. And, mm. you know, that's what I mean. Like, I kind of executive produce direct. But, you know, when you're working with people like Trials and Jay and whoever else, it's like the people I work with, I don't really have to give them too much. It's like we've, we know what this is and we know how it works and we know what we have to do. Mm. So, you know, my job's really easy at that point. Mm. It only gets hard at the other end when you've got to explain what you did. 
<laughs> in interviews like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to make you do that for a little bit. <laughs> so life is incredible. Yeah. Um, you wrote it at the LA Song Hubs, right? Yeah. And at the time, Pauline Hanson had just launched her um, It's Okay to Be White yeah. movement. Yeah, her motion to parliament. Okay, yeah. What the fuck, right? Um, I wanted to ask you, this casual support from white people that seems to be consistently happening more and more, but they're not really actively campaigning for change. What's your thoughts on that? Do you see that? Yeah, well, they they normalised Pauline Hanson and her racist views, like, through Channel 7 and Sunrise. They gave her a weekly platform, you know, and then they want to chastise her 18 months later after paying her for interviews and giving her a weekly platform. You know what I mean? Like, it's a joke. They normalise the atmosphere. Everything they do is for ratings and clicks. So they, they, they normalise her, her racism so it's okay. If she's on TV saying that and not being actively challenged or dismissed, then it's okay. And that's what the real issue is when, you, when it comes to, um, you know, the kind of climate that we're in now with, with racism is, you know, you have people walking around spouting what they want as their right to free speech when it's like yeah but you're not free speech doesn't mean free of consequences and it shouldn't mean free of consequences and it's hateful as yeah. well which is also against the law yeah there's a difference yeah there's a difference between you know her, her billboards say you know she has the guts to say what she's thinking when you know I think a uh, a politician's approach should be having the smarts to think about what you're saying. It's a real good barometer for where we're at at the moment. All this talk about we should be, you know, championing people who are out there saying what, what they think. And, you know, it's like, how about we champion intelligent people who want to advocate for equity and, and a, a positive change moving forward and not just trying to revert to this 19... 60s Australia <laughs> it really is it's so backward yeah. and that's exactly what you're saying is we we should be advocating people who want to move forward yeah. people that want progress and that's a lot of what you're about really so you you're quite active in the indigenous community and doing this first nation song hubs with APRA soon which is really exciting yeah. do and this might sound like a really basic question but why is it so important for you to be so active in, in that community because uh, that's the community, community that you know, my community is what, you know, is where all my memories are. That's where all my values come from and the foundation of my morals. So that's where an artist like me grows. So if I could go back and do more and give more back, you know, there's only opportunity to grow more artists like myself and, you know, more trials and more Alice Skies, you know what I mean? Like all these different artists that, you know, that can be great and, you know, fantastic. Do you think a lot of people are going to listen to Life is Incredible and get it straight off the bat or? Nah, they haven't. <laughs> How do you know they haven't? Oh, you could just tell, like in the way that it's, um, you know, received. And that's okay. I, I always knew, you know, that was a roll of the dice when you do stuff like that. And that's how I live. It's like I roll the dice and I, I take chances. Like, we took a chance when we did January 26. We took a chance when we did the whole AB original movement. It's like, we thought 
that was career suicide. You said on stage, I think uh, perhaps at the APRA Awards or ARIA Awards maybe, where you said uh, you thought this was going to be the start of your retirement. Yeah. Like that was it. Yeah, like we thought we were done. Like we honestly thought we we're going to release this record, everyone's going to hate it, but this is the record we've got to make. And because it was the only album we had in us. Like it, it originally started as this was what I was going to do. And I told Trials about it. I was like, I want to do this album that's super black, super political for the kids like us. And he was like, yeah, I'm with it. You know what I mean? And it just turned into this whole thing. It's like it started out as an idea like that. This is what I want to do. Trials was like, I'm down. I'm keen as. Let's do it. And then it just turned, you know, we, we did an EP over a weekend. And then, because um, like I, w- I was already heading in this direction from Shep Life. Because I did Bad Apples and a few songs on that. Well, like on Homemade Bombs, I had a track called Homemade Bombs where I referenced stuff. And then, you know, my first single off the blacklist was The Wrong Brother, which was all about me as a, as a black fellow growing up in, in a regional town and, you know, being stereotyped. And then each release got progressively more blunt and more stripped back to the point where I did Bad Apples and then Children came back. And I was like focusing and my trajectory was into this AB original lane was where, was where I was heading. And then Trials was about it. And we cooked up this EP, showed our friends, that's what we do and we're proud of our music, we show our mates. And then um, it grew. They were like, do an album. We did it. We made the album. And um, like we thought, we thought we were done. And that's the whole thing. It's like my career... I think, you know, because being Indigenous in Australia and seeing success is such an anomaly to come from our communities, I was all, like, you know, us making it was always, like, a phenomenal thing and, and it always felt like a roll of the dice and the way the things happen for us in our community often felt like luck or chance you know what I mean like knowing full well that like hard work is the foundation of all of this stuff but at some point it does feel like if I'm gonna you know take these shots and live how I live it's like I gotta take them often you know what I mean and there's plans and there's strategy and stuff but there's always that that thing about just stepping out and not knowing if there's a safety net or not and just going and fuck it because what else am I going to do? Where does that feeling of oh this is luck or oh this is just a uh, I'm an anomaly it's just a chance come from because if you look at your success like look at where you are now look at your success both here and overseas with your own Beats One show the new Australia your own Netflix series and then here it's just absolutely incredible so where does that feeling of oh this is luck? Yeah it well, luck is where being ready and opportunity meet, right? So it's it's not that we've we're lucky and this just fell into our lap. It's like we're just very. I, I think luck is probably not the best word. Maybe we're just fortunate. The way that things have panned out and the timing of stuff and us just working hard and being ready for when these opportunities come up um, meant that we were able to just grab them and and take them for all they're worth. And I think that's what the, um, you know, what I mean by luck. It's, it's, you know, how fortunate we are mm. to be able to do all these, all these great things. And so the things that we do do 
and the things that we are a part of often feel like long shots, but they pay off. And so it's like, take more. You know, I'm always down to shoot the three, you know, at the buzzer. I'm always about it. You know you're, I mean? you're ready because Game you work seven. hard. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just like, you, you miss 100% of shots you don't take. So That's it. Yeah, and you've trained for it, so take the shot. Mm. It's interesting, from where I'm sitting, it feels like there has been an increase in Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander voices in media and kind of everywhere. Just just from where I'm sitting, I guess. I'm wondering, do you feel it's actually supported and then that support, do you feel that it's authentic? Um, I don't think too much about it rather than just when I get the opportunity to take that platform and have the microphone, I try to say something worthwhile and... Um, you know, try to explain myself as best as I can. And there's great people out there who who do it awesomely, you know what I mean? In, in, in other realms, you know, like Nakia Louie, who's a playwright and, and comedy writer, and she's fantastic at it, you know what I mean? She's she's great at expressing herself and, and being a voice in this, you know, big media 24-hour news cycle whirlwind that we, that we live in. The, I feel like the voices have have definitely been amplified and they're much more uh, prevalent than they once were. And like I think through us, AB Original being so, um, I guess like unforgiving and unrelenting with our with our um, presence and and our stance and, and, and doing what we do, it, it changes um, the conversation you know, for a lot of people and, and opens up a door for other blackfellas who might not have had, um, you know, the courage to speak their mind before. And the fact that we can be that kind of beacon for them to point out and be like, oh, that's what I think. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it's a different kind of um, responsibility. One Year Later is presented by APRA AMCOS, a key business partner both locally and globally to over 100,000 Australian and New Zealand songwriters and publishers. With reps and creative spaces in LA, Nashville and London, APRA AMCOS travels with its members. Whether you've relocated or it's just a flying visit, APRA AMCOS can provide space to members and their teams on a short-term basis in a fantastic location. Go to apraamcos.com.au for more info. Let's go back to Song Hubs again because I know that you had like hundreds of applicants for the Song Hubs First Nations, yeah. but I also know that you have done many Song Hubs yourself yeah. as a songwriter. So, what's that curation process like for you? You've been on the other side of it. Yeah. What's it like actually being the one to curate? Oh, it's difficult because like, there's so many fantastic artists, but there's only so many spots and. You know, you don't want to overload people, and all you, you know, all I can take away from it is like, is that, you know, everyone who applied deserved a spot. That's for sure. But that's so much harder than yeah. it being an easy decision. Yeah, because like it, it's it's not just having people of note or people who have been in the game for a minute that you want to put in there. You you also want to throw some kids in the mix who could use the that would be able to, you know, ascend in and grow so much in, in these um, in these kind of environment. 
is part of it as well. That's true. I remember Sarah Aaron's, one of her first um, song hubs or songwriting camps that she did through APRA. One of the guys in the room was the lead singer from Thirsty Merc. Yeah. And, you know, he's such a prolific songwriter and that was her first experience. So she probably rose to that level because of the people that were in the room as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like everyone's human and everyone like no one in the room wants to sit, wants someone else to fail or everyone just wants to write a good song. You know what I mean? So everyone wants to help each other be the best artist or that's how it should be, mm. you know, be the best artist that they can be. So like choosing who, um, you know, attends was like, it was tough, but it was also fulfilling in knowing that there's so many worthy applicants as well. And, like, you know, if we get to do it again next year, I'm sure, you know, there'll be more opportunities for growth and, and to have more applicants in a bigger kind of environment. And are, they, are there successful applicants from different genres? Like, are there pop artists, hip-hop, sort of EDM yeah, backgrounds? Yeah, yeah, there's, like, there's producers, there's rappers. Like, I, I didn't want to, like, it's not just a rap. And that was one of the things. It's like, I didn't want this to be, like, some kind of, you know, rap boot camp. Future Briggses. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't about <laughs> that, you know. This was, you know, there was, there's a lot of singer-songwriters, folk, some country artists, you know, R&B. There's like, there's, there's great, you know, and a few different, you know, age groups as well. There's a lot of um, diversity in that. And like, it's important, especially with the brand, you know, Bad Apples and stuff. Like, I just didn't want to have this idea of that it was just a rap thing, you know what I mean? It was just a hip-hop thing. And I, th and I think like the applicants that we that we chose will you know drive that home plus as you know like your even your songs even your latest single it's not it's not just a hip-hop song no like those genres just mesh and yeah. intertwine it's yeah, great it's about, yeah it's for artists you know it's yeah. for songwriters like the the wheelhouse is so vast now it's like artists just aren't one thing anymore it's crazy you know producers produce a plethora of of genres as well so yeah you have to be ready you know you are probably the best example of that like you look at what is this netflix show called disenchantment yeah is that, what how did this come about what's what's the latest with it um it came about through twitter with um a friendship i have with one of the executive producers he used to be a showrunner and writer on the simpsons how do you just have a friendship with a showrunner from The Simpsons? I don't know. It's just the internet. <laughs> yes, and, and social he, media. And he, yeah. liked, he liked my music. And that's how it started. Like, I went from there. And was it Twitter DMs? Yeah. Or was it? Yeah, because yeah, I was like, bullshit, this isn't Josh Weinstein from The Simpsons. Because <laughs> like, I was a massive nerd, right? A massive Simpsons nerd. So I knew who wrote what who you're like the director's cut listen dude yeah, yeah. yeah that's you extra extra scenes yeah commentaries all that yeah so i knew who was who and yeah it was him and then like it just started from there and he enjoyed some of the comedy stuff that i wrote and um yeah it went from it went from there like it's crazy like people ask me often how it started and i say twitter and they're like what it's like for real it's how it started there was no like audition or anything like that. Some of the best collaborations come from the latest is the little Nas X with Billy Ray Cyrus yeah. Old Town Road. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> so funny. Oh, so funny. So wait, what's the latest with it? When is when is it out? Are you do do you have anything to do with the soundtrack? No, nah, just this like the second season will drop 
this year, I imagine. Netflix don't tell you much. They're very secretive with their algorithms that they keep in their watchtower. <laughs> they don't tell you much at all. But um, it'll be out this year, I imagine. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. And then are you going to do more screenwriting after this? I hope so, yeah. I'd like to go... I'd like to work, you know, with Disenchantment again. Like, Josh said he'd like to do it. But at the moment, all I'm focused on right now is Life is Incredible and the next lot of music that I'm going to put out. And then, you know, hopefully we have more stuff to write about. (laughs) How is it going in the US for your music? Because to me, you're not typical Aussie hip-hop that I probably came across when I first moved over from New Zealand. But the US is usually quite hard to break into, especially for Aussie hip-hop. Yeah. How are you finding it over there? Uh, uh, I've only been to the States as a comedy writer. I I haven't been there. You gotta use those contacts, man. You gotta. Yeah, but I'm I'm also like, it's it's a whole different game there. You know, it's a whole nother it's a whole nother game, and like, I'm real happy with the with the gig I have there. You know, writing jokes. Like, kind of want to fuck that up. (laughs) You kind of want to keep it separate. Like, when I'm in the US, I'm a comedy screenwriter, and when I'm in Australia, I'm a hip hop hero. Well, the comedy translates much easier. You know what I mean? The comedy translates much easier. It's hard for them to understand what you go through, what your community goes through from all yeah, the way over there. Yeah, I don't think it's so much that. I think, honestly think it's a, it's a linguistic and, and, and sonic thing. It's like, it's just a whole other machine there. Hence it, why a lot of artists here have a bit of that American twang when yeah. they get on well, stage. Well, it's, it's, not just, it's not just that. It's like there's this... There's, you just need to, to break it, to crack it there. You need a, you need a big machine. You know what I mean? And you need Taylor Swift's big machine yeah, label. Yeah, 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 you need a, you need a big old machine. And it's just, not to say that I haven't thought about it or anything like that. It's just, I've got so much, so much on and so much to do. It's like, to crack there is like a whole nother level of work. And it's like, I could just do, I could just, I could just write jokes. <laughs> Will you try, do you think, or are you, you going to keep the two separate? I think at some point that'll be part of the trajectory mm. to, you know, to, to move in. Because, like, I've met and connected with a lot of great artists, you know, from from the States. And I think, you know, that's one of the avenues in, is that cosign from other artists. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I never bank on anything except, you know, what's in front of me. So if it happens, it happens, you know, we'll work at just making good songs and where that, where that takes us and where that travels and how, that, how we navigate that will be what we do when we put those songs out. So you never bank on anything unless it's in front of you. So this next question is going to be really annoying for you. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you hope your legacy will be. Say 50, 60 years from now, what do you hope people think of when they think of you? I don't know. Honestly, I, I just, I live so much for the moment that I, I rarely think about, well, I, uh, to be honest, I rarely think about what people think of me, to be honest. That's such a freeing way to live. <laughs> I, that happened to me after I turned 30. It was the best thing <laughs> ever. Yeah, I don't I, I think it's just like, I just got tired of it. I just got tired of worrying about what people thought. 
unless it's my friends or my family, I don't care. In the truest sense, I could not give a fuck. <laughs> it's, that's so freeing, though. It's such a... Well, that's what paves the way for true art as yeah, well. Yeah, and it's like, it's just freedom. As long as you're a sound mind and you're... Um, <laughs> You know, it's great. <laughs> got to keep that. Yeah, yeah. Got to keep your yeah, mind intact. Yeah. As long as you've fine. got your mental health in check <laughs> to a reasonable, you know, account, then, yeah, you should not care what other people think. That's it. But if um, your friends are telling you that you've, you've gone a bit nuts, you might want to... Um, check yourself. Yeah, t- take a step back. and Because, yeah. uh, like, that's the thing is, like, like not, like, the, you know, the whole art of not giving a fuck. Have you read that book? No. I haven't. I like the title though. I was like, yeah, yeah I'll do that. I'm, I'm sure, like, I, I, I so don't give a fuck that I won't even bother reading. <laughs> I get it. I yeah, see the title. Like, I, I think I got yeah, it. I don't give a fuck to read that book. I know, how to, I know how to do that. Fuck off. <laughs> I th- you know, and then the, the writer of that book would go, yes, that's yeah, exactly it. I don't need it. to read your book. Fuck off. The writer would be happy. and go, you yeah, get it. I, I, I think I do. Because I'm like, I, I've never, yeah, what, what other people thought of me never really bothered me. Because I, I knew these decisions I make and the stuff that I do does not conflict with my morals or my values. So I'm good. Like, as long as your core integrity never wavers, yeah. you're good. Yeah, I'm fine. It's when it's that soul-stealing stuff, you know what I mean? When you start feeling like, oh, geez, I don't know about this. Yeah. That's when you're like... And you know when that happens. Yeah. Something doesn't feel right in your gut yeah. and you need to recalibrate. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's the whole point. So not giving a fuck is an art in itself, but it's healthy to, to care what your core people around you think. You know, if, if you can't go home, you know, then you're probably, you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> If your mama's mad at you, yeah. that's not good. Yeah, if, if, if everyone back home is like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it's like, oh, jeez. Yeah. And that hasn't happened yet. Never? So, nah. That's good. Nah. Like, people have, have been confused about what I do, or they've been, but they've never been like, oh, that's not us, or that's not right. It's always been like, why do you do that? Why do you say it that way? <laughs> Trying to understand you even. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters really. Mm. It's like, it's the core stuff. Yeah. It's your integrity. It's your values and your morals. If you make your decisions based on your morals and your values, you don't have to answer to anybody. That's it. All right, I have one last question for you. So I know that Senator Briggs is like a persona, right? But would you ever consider actually running for office? No. Why not? Because I do like, I get to have all that without having to hang out with a bunch of stiffs. You know what I mean? Like You've got the platform. Yeah, I get to wear like my activewear Bondi Which camo. Which you're in right now. I'm, yeah. I'm digging it. Because like I'm, you know, I'm lying to myself that I'm going to go to the gym right after this. If you walk somewhere, it's active, right? I walk to my car. You're good then. And I'll you're good. drive to a falafel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's yeah, no. I, and like I, I, I spoke to my management the other week about this stuff, and I was like, hey, we should probably before this election put like a bit of a um, a note out there that people shouldn't waste their vote on voting for me. You know, and what just I mean? write your name instead of yeah. Oh lord, yeah. Like I don't know they would, and I know it's funny for the gram, 
and that. But we actually have some detrimental scumbags in the house that, you know, should be voted out. And I'd hate for people who admire, you know, what I do to take the joke there and, and waste their vote, you know, for another, what is it, four years, eight years. So do you think that voting can create change? What's well, the only way it at will. the moment, mm. unless you really want to do something super drastic. <laughs> Check your integrity. <laughs> yeah. It's just that thing, you know, it's like that is that way we create change, you know what I mean? Like if you look at the, the atmosphere that let Pauline Hanson breathe was Howard and then she went away and the next, the next time she got to breathe again was Tony Abbott. So the way that, you know, that we can make a little bit of a difference is by voting. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, but just be mindful, you know, and be aware, do your research and don't be stooged by these, you know, jerks at the front of these polling places. Take back a bit of that power. And just vote One Nation last, those scumbags. That's the only rule. <laughs> yeah. That's what needs to go on your yeah, disclaimer. Yeah. Look, I'm not running for office, but vote One yeah, Nation last. Please vote very last. One Nation last. Yeah. Last. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Riggs. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> if you write or perform songs, you need to connect with Abraham Koss. The music rights organisation collects songwriting royalties for over 95,000 songwriters and composers. It also supports music creators through networking events, workshops, mentoring sessions and grants programs. Go to apraamcos.com.au to find out more.